Welcome to the latest United podcast and the latest edition of the podcast where we are still top of the league, so another enjoyable one. But Larry has somewhat travelled to Outback New South Wales to try and escape the Luke Shaw performance, I think. I don't think he wants to discuss his man of the match performance, so he has jumped ship out to Outback New South Wales, but he'll be back for the next podcast later in the week. But we've got our, I don't know what you call you, it's almost a regular substitute, almost first off the bench each week. Um, Josh is back on the podcast, but first question I always have to ask: three thirty a.m. Monday kickoff. Um, how'd you pull up? Do you know what? Very, very surprised. Um, I woke up with ease. Actually, I had a few drinks yesterday in the day. I was catching up with some friends who I hadn't seen for about a month. Um, so we had about seven, eight pints yesterday. So I thought it might be a really, really big struggle tomorrow uh, this morning. Well, yeah, I was up without the alarm half an hour before kickoff. So I um, can't complain. I was hoping the game was a little bit better. Well, well, we'll get into the game, but just on that, I've set the alarm for obviously always half hour before the game, so you can have a look at the start in eleven, and you can see who's moaning over what. But I'm assuming you did check the um, start in eleven as soon as you woke up. Just one, there was a big, well, was it a big shock? We'll get into it. Lindelof over Eric Bay. I think every, we discussed it last week on the podcast that we'd like to see Eric Bay play, but it's an interesting situation with him. Does Solskjaer trust him? one from a performance point of view but also from a physical point of view in terms of his fitness we looked at the Burnley and Liverpool games as a collective and if he was to play one I think we both agreed that maybe the Burnley game was better suited and if we had to play Lindelof in one it would maybe be the Liverpool game and um, we'll get into the performance because Lindelof actually played very well but just your thoughts half an hour before kickoff when you did see it was Eric Bay on the bench and Victor Lindelof was starting I wasn't overly shocked because Lindelof has played in quite a lot of the you know the games against the big six so to speak so to speak really this year um, has rarely put a foot wrong. I, I believe he he didn't play did he against Spurs when we lost six one was it was it Bayern yeah, that, played yeah that was Bayern and Maguire Lindelof was dropped for that one yeah so so he's you know he's reliable um, and I think he has that sort of I wouldn't say composure because Eric Bayern is probably a hundred percent composed but. Sometimes that can really knock him back by. He comes across too self-assured and there's always a, I wouldn't say a bad mistake, but there's always sometimes a critical mistake in his game if he gets too overconfident. Um, and sometimes, we've discussed it before, you're holding your breath sometimes when he has the ball um, and the opposition are really pressing him. So it wasn't the biggest shot for me. I think the biggest shot for me was Martial uh, keeping his place in the starting eleven. Um, obviously, despite the injury, um, which he was alleged to have had in the Burnley game. So I was quite surprised Martial started, especially with the form as well as recent form. Yeah, no, we'll definitely get into Martial. But just on Bay and Lindelof, do you think, what do you think it's more a case of? Do you think it was Solskjaer wanting Lindelof's attributes over Eric Bay, Or do you think it's a case of Eric Bay has been playing, OK, while it is a big game, you can't play him every week. It's a time where we can rest him. Um, how did you sort of... What do you think Solskjaer's goal was in regards to the situation? I think it's just a best practice sort of sort of composure, really. Um, Lindelof has worked well in the big games this year. I know we've not really had the best results against them in terms of many victories, but we've had quite a lot of draws, quite a lot of good defensive performance. If you look to you know the Chelsea game, the Man City game was nil nil, I believe it was nil nil Man City, yeah. um, and also obviously the Chelsea game was nil nil. So. He's proven that they, they can form a good partnership in these types of games. So I think he just went on, you know, past reputation. And Lindelof hasn't really put a foot wrong this year. Obviously, he, had in, he got injured and Baye's come in um, and rarely put a foot wrong. So 
I think it was really more in terms of what's worked best in the past in you know similar games. Yeah, no, hard to argue. But you, you said there the other shock in the starting eleven for you. I thought you were going to go somewhere else. The biggest shock for me, not his inclusion, but the positioning and the shape that um, Solskjaer sort of deployed. Paul Pogba as our new right winger. <laughs> well, I thought he was going to be on the left when he when you first saw the team sheet. Um, but yeah, a bit of a strange one, really. Um, what, what do you think he was trying to achieve there? Because look, at the end of the day, Paul Pogba played well. He, I thought he was one of our better players and he did his job well, but it was just such a... If it was at home to Fulham, okay, you get away with him on the right, you'd say, okay, we're going to dominate, he'll get on the ball, he'll drift in, he'll do what he wants. But against Liverpool, against potentially... It's hard to see, but potentially the most dangerous left-hand side in world football in Robertson and Mane, Pogba has a very specific job in that game, which isn't his type of job. It's not what you expect from Pogba, sort of tracking up and down the wing. That's not his role. That's not what he's known for. It's not his strength. And you think, well, what's Solskjaer trying to achieve there? It makes no sense at all. And we do sometimes question Pogba's commitment to the cause, but Pogba put the work in and ultimately sort of nullified their left-hand side. Yeah, I think it was a bit of a shock, obviously. I really don't like it when Pogba plays out wide. I don't think he, you know, is suited to it. But he can, he has proven that he can adapt to it. And although we sometimes don't see his best qualities, he he rarely really puts a foot wrong. And you know, he he can put in. He's known to put in a good performance. I think a lot of it is accommodating McTominay and Fred. I mean, as you said on many podcasts before, you can't play one without the other. Really, with McTominay and Fred, they sort of come as a pair, especially in these big games. Um, is a question as well of whether he could have adapted it to you know to playing a diamond or front three. He obviously played for Pogba out wide today. Um, it was, yeah, it was a bit of a strange one, but as you said, like he he rarely put a foot wrong, and I thought defensively, he was probably one of our best players in terms of you know the attacking players that track back. I thought he was you know stronger than McTominay and Fred today, and especially defensively. Well, I don't I don't want to use the term into. And because he ultimately played very well and Solskjaer got it right in terms of the setup because we didn't concede. And on another day, Paul Pogba scores the winner and it's a sort of tactical masterclass. But when I did see the lineup half an hour before kickoff, I, my first initial reaction was almost I think this is maybe a sign of weakness by Solskjaer just accommodating Pogba, getting him in the lineup wherever he can. Where maybe, okay, if you can't fit him in that midfield, it's maybe someone better. But if you're looking at a defensive duty, maybe a Dan James or a one matter on the right makes more sense than Paul Pogba. So do you think Solskjaer sort of, and ultimately it's paid off, so Solskjaer can take the credit, but do you think he's just, by luck, just said, look, I need to play Paul Pogba because I don't want to piss him off and I'll just put him in the team somewhere, and he's almost caved to Paul Pogba's power, or do you think he has seen an attribute in Paul Pogba where he can get something out of him there? I think you look to the Burnley game and look at the impact he had, um, especially with Bruno not playing well. I don't think it's a case of thinking him in for the sake of it. I think it's more of a case of, you know, Bruno as well. He doesn't, he's not yet performed really against the big teams. You know, he's had some, he's, he's had a fantastic impact and yeah, he gets the penalty and he's, he's probably been our best player this season, no denying that. But sometimes he doesn't have the impact that, you know, sometimes he needs and if he doesn't have it, you've got to sort of rely on, you know, your second, well, probably your better player, but your second best player in terms of impact, and that's Pogba. Yeah, no, definitely. And as we said, he's almost scored the winner late on, which we'll get into. But on to the actual game, and 
look, this game is always going to be tense. We look forward to United v Liverpool. As soon as the fixtures come out, we count the days until this day comes around. However, the 90 minutes, it's the least enjoyable 90 minutes of the season. Even if you're winning, it's a horrible game to watch. But especially that first 30 minutes, Liverpool pretty much had us penned in. We weren't parking the bus, I don't think. It's just Liverpool were playing well and we couldn't get a hold of the ball. I felt almost physically sick watching Liverpool. Not in a depressing way like, oh, this is the difference between the sides. It was just a case of, oh my God, Liverpool are going to score here, they're going to score here, they're going to score. And um, that first half hour, that was a tough watch. It was a really tough watch. I don't think United really had any intention of playing that deep and yeah. sort of parking the bus, which is what, no denying, it probably looks like what we did, in the, especially in that first half, first 30 minutes of that first half. I think Liverpool were just so good on the ball, so good going forward, that they sort of made us sit back and it looked really defensive. I mean, how many goal kicks did we have in that first half where... De Gea is no. not booting it along. He's just playing it short, and it's just a case of trying to keep possession. Yeah, I, I, think, I think one of the reasons they attacked so well, or not so much attacked, but kept that ball and kept that pressure, was almost what their potential weakness was always going to be at centre back by playing two midfielders there. Yeah, but by having two midfielders there, you almost got six or seven central midfielders on the field, and if you have that, you're going to have good sort of ball players. And I thought every time we sort of did get forward and lose the ball they were able to start their play with such sort of intent where definitely not a criticism of Maguire and Lindelof, but you watch the way Maguire and Lindelof play out from the back. They're fine, but they look like defenders playing out from the back. But when Fabinho and Jordan Henderson had the ball, they look like proper footballers playing the ball out from the back. Yeah. And I think that's the only thing they had to be wary of today, Liverpool. Is It was never a game, but United were going to dominate in terms of possession. They were always going to play on the counter. And it was down to Liverpool to play that high line, which I think they did really effectively, especially in that first 30 minutes. Um, United couldn't get out there in half. Well, after the first 30, and not really much happened in the first half. We've got one or two little chance, sort of half chances. But um, United did sort of grow into the game a little bit and sort of progress up the field, maybe 10 or 15 yards. And it probably finished the half, maybe, I wouldn't say the stronger team, but definitely in the game. Um, just your thoughts. I don't want to dwell on it too much. And personally, I think, it's a nothing incident, but when you sort of freeze frame it, and you look at clocks and you look at the times and everything. I'm sure if it was on the other, if it was the other side, I'll be having an argument about it. But just your thoughts on the half-time incident, where um, the time is almost up, but by the clock sort of suggests that the time wasn't up. There was still four or five seconds to go, and the whistle has gone when Mane has gone through. Now my my initial reaction, even when the incident happened, but also looking back and it's been analysed to death on sort of Optus and Sky Sports and everything, he blow, he starts to blow the whistle before Thiago gets the ball to play the ball. Like Thiago hits a first-time ball. But as soon as he blows the whistle, that's when Thiago's hitting the ball. So our defenders stop, which sort of looks like Mane is in more space than what he actually was. But um, the timing of it is interesting because the time wasn't actually done. I'm not sure if the ref's clock is different to what we see on the TV. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But um, just your thoughts on sort of the controversy around it? I think you've hit a nail on the head already. There's not much to add. I think from our perception and from our you know view of the timing, he's, he's blown his whistle probably about 10 seconds too early. Um, I, don't, I think the law in football is you've got to actually play the actual minutes before you know, blowing your whistle, isn't it? So you've got to play 
Yeah, I think it's like up to is it up to two minutes or can you play like past it or before? Oh, no, it? Well, the, the injury time is really just a guide. Um, it's a minimum. Like they say, okay, there's three minutes that's used as a guide. As a minimum, it has to be at least that. But I don't think it's a set in stone rule. If the ref want to, wants to blow the whistle at ninety minutes, um, I think he's well within his right. I'm sure we've got a few referees who would um, maybe correct me on that. But I think it's just used as a minimum. And but as I say, it was a nothing incident. The ball was in halfway. Five seconds to go. You got, I can understand the referees thinking, okay, okay, the play stopped. I'll blow the whistle. And as he started to blow the whistle, Tiago's a fantastic footballer who's seen a first time pass and put it through. But by the time Mane gets the ball, um, the whistle has finished, and it looks like Mane was in space. But Victor Lindelof had stopped. Maguire had stopped. So look, if it was on the other, and that was Rashford going through, I'd be dedicating a podcast to sort of form an inquiry against the referee. But yeah, it's enough an incident for me. But. On to the second I half. think it speaks volumes to how, I wouldn't say how poor they were, because I don't think Liverpool were collectively poor today. Maybe in terms of M product, yes, but if they're using that incident as an excuse or, you know, as a, you know, a valid complaint, it's just a cheap complaint, isn't it, really? It's clear yeah. that when the referee blows his whistle, United sort of stop to our time. I mean, if, if he wouldn't have blown his whistle, I, wouldn't, I don't think he would have been through on goal. I think they would have caught up. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Just on that, I was just thinking of Lindelof from Maguire. And um, it was an incident in the second half. I think it was the start of the second half. I don't know if you remember watching it. I'm sure you did. Because it, it was quite funny. I think Salah was um, tight to Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire was sort of shadowing the ball out. And Harry Maguire sort of won a foul deep in, our own, deep in Liverpool's half. Um, sort of trying to shadow the ball out for a corner. And Salah got close. And Harry Maguire tried to win the foul against Salah. But forgot to go down. And then realise, I should have gone down there, but I've left it too late now. And then you could see his mind ticking over, ticking over and think, well, I'm in no position here. I'm going to dive anyway. And dive like three or four seconds later and end <laughs> up winning the foul. And I just thought it was so fitting to do that against Mo Salah. Do you remember the incident? Yeah, yeah, it was early on. It was like classic, um, isn't it, really? Can't believe the referee bought it. But th- that's, that's what I mean. If he goes down straight away, it would give a foul because it, it probably shouldn't be a foul, but those are fouls that are given to the, in today's game. But the fact that he didn't go down, that he realised, I really should have. I'll go down now instead. And it was a horrible dive, but the referee has somehow bought it. But There's um, some horrible this dives this weekend anyway in the Premier League. I don't know if you've yeah, seen some been, of the highlights. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. Well, we'll go on to um, maybe the most, con- not the controversial bit of the game, but the sort of hotly discussed in regards to United social media, uh, Marcus Rashford and the incident where he's running through towards the defenders and Edison Cavani makes reverse run to the left-hand side, and Rashford dribbles to the right-hand side. Um, he's got a lot of stick, and rightly so, because I think... Oh, no, rightly so. He should do better. He should play the ball into Cavani. However, we have the comfort of sitting back on the other side of the world on our couch with our beer in our hand with the TV camera angle. Marcus Rashford has run 100 mile an hour at pitch level with world-class players around him. He has a completely different view to what we have. And I just think the pass was so obvious to Cavani. Fabinho and Henderson knew that. So while we're saying play that, well, Fabinho and Henderson are reading that pass as well. So they're almost forcing Rashford to take the harder option, which is dribbling. And Rashford, I think he wanted to try to get that ball to Cavani, but just couldn't do it and has taken the long route. Ultimately, it didn't work out. And look, ultimately, he should do better. He should maybe find find that a way to squeeze that pass through. But um, I think the criticism over that incident is a little bit over the top. Well, I spoke to you off air before, before this uh, podcast and... I said the first time when I was watching it live, I was shouting at Rashford at the screen, saying, mm. you know, it was terrible, terrible mistake, you know, 
really key pass, a really key missed opportunity he may have missed there. Um, and sometimes before, especially before I do a podcast review or a podcast review, I always try and watch like the highlights again of the game um, just to check I'm like not going in with one, one opinion or one-sided. And I watched the, the move again and I was thinking, when should he play the pass? And the exact moment when I think he would have, should have played the pass, the defence you know, had it covered. And I thought, it was, I thought on second glance, it's actually really clever, really good defending, yeah, really experienced defending, especially from Henderson. I think that's the thing which we've mentioned on this podcast before is something we don't do one as football fans but especially Man United fans we we look and rightly so we look at our own backyard we never ever give credit to the other team and if that's Eric Bay doing that defending against Salah and Mane we're going oh Eric Bay what great defending well we have to give credit to the other team I don't want to shy away from it I think Rashford was really far off the pace today I I thought Rashford overall I thought was poor I thought yeah. Well, one, one, I thought Martial was going to come off because it seems to be the standard substitution. But I thought, and again, goals are so important for Martial. I thought Martial played very well. Take away his sort of it's almost lack of goal threat. It's an obvious comparison with him and Marcus Rashford. I thought Martial was having a far better game than uh, Marcus Rashford. Yeah, no, definitely. So, um, but it is interesting. But just on that front three or front three, front two, whatever you want to call it, what well, was alluded to it before is it just another sign that really Edison Cavani should be playing. He should be our, num- our starting number nine, but it's kind of Solskjaer can't really not in the Donny Van der Beek mold can't find a way to get him into the team, but is sort of struggling to sort of find the timing to give him a consistent run at sort of starting the games. I thought he should have started today, Cavani, maybe in place of Martial and um, put Rashford a bit out wide, maybe on the left, just in terms of how intelligent he is. And you're not going to get many chances against the Liverpool Liverpool team. But when he came on, we just seemed to you know, open up and get a lot more chances because he's a, he's a really intelligent player. He draws in the defenders to free up other players. Um, he's a really, really intelligent player. I can't echo this enough. He, you know, he's played for really big teams, scored a lot of goals. But just in terms of some of his positioning, his decisions, I think he's, I think he's classed. He would have suited a game like this. Well, you say those chances, he's got like the intelligence. Then. He's got the intelligence of like Zlatan in terms of how clever he is. Yeah, I know you can definitely tell he's like very, very experienced. Um, he sort of almost knows the role where where you see Marcus Rashford and um, Anthony Martial. They're almost mixed between that left wing or striker. They don't quite know what they are. It's almost like they're learning on the job. Where Cavani doesn't need to learn. He, he knows his job and he's uh, he's got his one way of playing and that's it. Where Martial and Rashford they have three or four different ways of playing. And um, that's good, that's a positive to have, but it's almost maybe their detriment. But you just mentioned with Cavani there in terms of the, he started to create chances, maybe not by himself, but sort of him occupying defenders. We did get a foothold in the game and you just go back to the start of the game. We mentioned before the podcast would take a draw away at Anfield. We'd both be happy with that. And ultimately, I think we are happy with that. But when you see those two chances at the end, and I don't, look, the Bruno chance should do better. Maybe she'll get a little bit high on the ball. Poor Pogba. He hits it hard. It's an instinct shot. Maybe should angle it a little bit better. But they're two sort of quick shots, good saves. Maybe could have done better. But when you see those two chances at the end, which were the best chances of the game, yes, we can sit here and say we're happy with the point, and of course we are. It it's almost a bit of an empty feeling. There is a sense of frustration around that we didn't get the three points. I think so as well. Football's always a matter of perspective. I mean, I spoke to a few Liverpool fans today who I used to work with back home. And they're really disappointed with the result. They think they should have gotten more out of it just in terms of possession and chances. But 
I countered them with that and said, well, how many times did you really test De Gea? I mean, I can only really recall one save from about 25 yards out he made from Thiago, which was Liverpool's closest effort. And it, I think we're going to go on to our three two ones. And I thought Luke Shaw had a great game. But I think the biggest chance of the game was when he gave the ball away for a mistimed um, pass. And I think, I think it was Salah or Mane that had a snapshot and he just went wide mm. through Maguire's legs, I think wide of the mark. Those were the best like, chances of the game, but one of them was testing De Gea from 25 yards. The other was just a missed, missed, effort, on, missed effort off target. United had about three or four efforts, probably two or three of it, of, you know, two or three they should have done a lot better with in terms of maybe getting a goal. I know Fernandez won from about 20 yards out. Keeper had it, but it had a bit of a fizz on it. And then the ones at closer range, maybe they could have done better. Pogba, I know, just snapped at it. So I think we're probably, out of the two teams, I think we're probably feeling a bit more hard done by in terms of we probably did enough in the second half to ask questions and maybe get more than the points. I think on balance in terms of the whole game, a draw is probably a fair result. But I think we're probably the more the upset of the two teams. I think which we'll just I'm not saying that through this. red tinted glasses. But that's the thing we were just discussing before we um, started recording that it is a good sign. Like, it's, okay, it's, you don't want to be frustrated, but it is a good sign, not only the fans, but also the players. You think this time last year would be over the moon with a point at Anfield, where now we're going, okay, we'll, we'll take it, but we really should be getting more out of it. And while we are frustrated, that is a positive sign to have at the moment. Yeah, I think that's a great sign. I mean, at the start of the season, if you said you're going to get a point at Anfield, you'd probably snap your hands off based in terms of how we started in our, you know, our pre-season don't want to keep on going back to that but that's just a sign of the times at the start of the season and that you know the opinion of many fans is that you know a point away at Anfield fantastic result Ferguson always used to have that philosophy when he played Liverpool get points you know you went on your way but after this yeah. game very I was actually more disappointed and you know that's a good result in hindsight probably is a good result we're, we're still top of the league I know if City win a game in hand they'll be ahead by one point but you know, you're still in contention. I think the most important thing for United was probably not to lose that game, to lose that credibility. I think the fact that people are saying United, you know, feel hard done by shows, you know, our credentials for this year. And I think as well for Liverpool, I think they'll be more happy the fact that they're not gone into that game now or they're not come, come out of that game six points behind United. Well, that's the thing you I just mentioned. I think that's probably more important for them. You just mentioned the table there. It's unbelievable. I'm starting to look at the table and thinking, is the FA or the Premier League, are they entering the scores incorrectly, like incorrectly every week? Because it, the table makes absolutely no sense. You just mentioned Liverpool's position. I'm just looking at Everton win their game in hand. They go above Liverpool. And like, yeah. It's amazing when you think Leicester are up there. They're two points behind us. Tottenham are only a game behind us. Like, it is so close. Like, usually there's two or three teams in this sort of so-called title race. But we're looking at teams like Tottenham, Everton... Chelsea's still close by. Yeah, as I say, Manchester City have the chance to overtake us. And it just feels like, especially teams like Everton and Tottenham, it seems every week they're dropping points, but they're one or two games behind us. Well, it's I it's like somebody to... in the Premier League's putting the wrong scores in every week and no one's checking them. It's strange. Like on the, You listen to the pundits. I was listening to um, Roy Keane and Mika Richards after, after the Man City game today. And they were saying, um, who you know, what's going to happen in the league, who do you reckon is going to win it? And they both say, one said Liverpool, you know, I think Keane said Liverpool, I think just have enough to win the league. And Mika Richards saying City are just going to 
going a good run of form and create a gap. But at the moment, I just find it so hard to envision, you know, a team running away with like a 12, 15 point gap because the I games are coming in thick and fast. It almost teams might be that. Points. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It'll just be a four or five game run. If you can get 12, 15, 18 points in a month and someone's only picking up 10 points, I think it might be over the next... No one's going to win it over the next couple of weeks. But unfortunately, I look at City's fixtures over the next couple of weeks and they do have quite a favourable draw. And I just think it will just be a short spurt, which I think will someone will maybe just sort of extend that gap a little bit, where at the moment it is so um, so sort of clustered at the moment but we will move on to um, 3 2 one. So I think it's pretty much a straightforward one for three points as you guess as the guest you can throw the nomination in but I'm pretty sure we both agree yeah Luke Shaw for me um, I know that'll probably break Larry's heart but I think he was so good today defensively and one one area as well where he's often criticised for on, on not just on this podcast but also through various pundits various fans is that he's not got you know, much to offer on the attacking side of his game, but he created our best chance today on the attack. He, he looked really positive going forward as well. I thought his biggest flaw today was he almost caused, you know, he almost created a massive opportunity for Liverpool to concede where he, he gave away a loose pass. But aside from that, couldn't fault him today. He's so, so good um, defensively, really stuck to his, you know, Salah. I don't think Salah is out of his pocket yet. Well, you just mentioned you, Salah you, there. You've seen some of the memes coming out now. Yeah, there's some good ones. The one with the little baby, <laughs> the little toddler. But um, yeah. you just mentioned Salah there and Luke Shaw. And Luke Shaw, three points, 100%. I thought he's man of the match for both teams today. I thought he's fantastic. But just most Salah, just spend 30 seconds on him. He's a machine. Okay, He's come in since he arrived at Liverpool. He's been scoring goals. Fair play to him. I can't criticise that at all. The numbers don't lie. It just baffles me how he scores every week because... I just don't see how it happens because if he's playing against Luke Shaw, I would expect Luke Shaw to dominate him, which he did. Last year, Who, if he's up against Ashley Young, I would expect Ashley Young to dominate him. He did. I remember Matteo Damian played him a few years ago. I would expect Damian to pocket Mo Salah. He did. But every other week, Salah's scoring a hat-trick. And I, I just don't see how he does it because when he comes up against us, I know he scored last year, but that was a sort of a counter-attack right at the end of the game, 95th minute. But... um. And I'll give all the credit to Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw was fantastic, but I don't think Salah is... Just your opinion on Salah, because I don't see anything special, but he obviously is, because the numbers don't lie. He scores an, an unbelievable amount of goals. But just your thoughts on Salah? I think every every player has a team that they just hate playing against. And for Salah, he just never really seems to get a foothold against us. I don't, I don't think he's scored against us, has he? He, he, scored scored that, he, scored, he scored that goal last year, but it was a... We had every player in the box. It was yeah, a breakaway. it was like it was the last kick of the game, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, when we were like going up, going forward, but it's kind of like Sterling against us for Man City. Yeah. He just, yeah, look, just it hates might be playing that. against I, us. Yeah, I can't argue. I rate him as a player. There's no denying his class. I mean, you can't not be class and win the PFA Player of the Year. I mean, he's he's a he's a good player. I think when Shaw has like a target on him, or when Shaw's got a target and an assignment, he's He's very good at man marking someone out of game. Kind of similar to like McTominay when he's in when he plays against PSG. He's just really, he was so effective today. Sure, I don't think it was a case of Salah being bad. I think Shaw just was so so effective today, just in terms of knowing the role he had to do defensively. 
even on the attack, he just didn't allow him any space at all, Salah, to really do what he wants. I think collectively at the moment, Liverpool's front three are going through a really bad patch. They're just, just, just something not clicking. I think the fact that they were heavily heavily reliant on their, like, they made a signing with Jota and he's injured, it's just really shuddered their confidence. I mean, when I thought their most effective player today at Liverpool was Shakiri. Yeah, he was good. I thought he created the most chances in the first half and when he came off the pitch and got substituted, it sort of opened up a bit for us as well. I thought their best player had been substituted because for a midfielder, he was the most attacking, you know, most attacking player. Yeah, look, I definitely don't want to take anything away from him. Mane and, and Salah. Yeah, I'm definitely taking nothing away from Shaw's performance, but Salah, just one of those, football, everyone has their own little things with sort of rivals and Salah, I just don't see it. Fair play, he scores goals, but I don't see anything special there. But um, two points at the shore was an easy. It's like John points. Stones, isn't it? John Stones is class now. <laughs> yeah, but um, I used, to, I used to not. Ra- I used to think. I used to think he was the most overrated player, and he's just completely adapted his game this year. But it's not luck. It's not a Man City podcast or a Liverpool podcast. So let's get back to the. Let's get back to praising the boys. Well, does it stay in the back four for two points? I assume, I assume Pogba's in there with a shout for one of the points. But if not, I would assume either Lindelof, Maguire, even Wan Bissaka had a good game against one of the most dangerous attackers in world football so where do you think two points goes towards uh, I thought Maguire I, I, you know, it's one of them games where you could give it to either Maguire or, or Lindelof I know last time we, we were saying we could have given it to Baye or Maguire for the Burnley game <laughs> um, but I think for me maybe Maguire I think he was just really commanding at the back um, very organised again it's if you're not giving it to Maguire you're giving it to you're giving it to Lindelof. I know Lindelof made a really good, um, a few really good decisive um, interceptions, few decisive tackles. Maguire with that crucial block, I think it was from Salah, maybe or, or Mane yeah. in the second half. Of his, um, he just took a leg out. I think, I think Maguire. I thought defensively on a whole, United were good. If he could give the whole defense like a point, you know, I would. But yeah, I think for me, Maguire showed great leadership as well. Um, I liked him in the post-match as well in terms of how he spoke and how disappointed he was I thought he showed like you know great qualities of a, of a leader and a captain which I personally have questioned um, in the past yeah I just think for me you mentioned the leadership but what I just said there you're just looking a little bit more confident and that obviously comes with good performances he is performing well and he just look, he still has a long way to go to be that Manchester United captain we all want but um, yeah long may continue well if he's getting two points I think it's hard because I think he's almost on par with uh, sorry Victor Lindelof was almost on par with Maguire so it'd almost be an easy point for Victor Lindelof but I'm sure Paul Pogba's in the discussion as well or do you just think the way the game played out it's um, the credit needs to go to the, to the defenders first yeah I mean I thought Pogba I thought Pogba was good but maybe only after I thought in terms of attacking wise maybe after 60 minutes when he makes that change with Cavani um, yeah. I thought he, he he produced more of a performance of what we expected from him in terms of what we didn't expect from him in terms of that defensive side which he was pretty consistent I think it'd be hard not to give it to Pogba but I don't know I'll let you have this one personally I'd go for Lindelof yeah look, look I'd be I don't think he was I don't think he was much I don't think there was much comparison between him and Maguire in terms of you know struggling for it too so I would give it to Lindelof but if you want to give it to um, our man Paul, I'd be happy with that. Can't argue. I think some of uh, our listeners... Look, look I think we'll give it Lindelof. Well. Lindelof's copped enough stick on this podcast, so I think 
Um, it was a good performance, especially coming in um, and replacing Bay, because if Lindelof had a poor performance, you could only imagine what the reaction would have been after dropping Bay. So Lindelof had a lot of pressure on him, and um, fair play to him. I thought he did very well. But we'll quickly go on to Facebook comments. Everyone's three, two, ones, which is very quick. Uh, Rob goes three for Shaw, two for Pogba, one for Lindelof. Vin goes three for Maguire, two for Pogba, and splits it between Shaw and Lindelof for a point. Emma, three for Shaw, two for Pogba, one for Lindelof. George, three for Shaw, two for Pogba, one for Lindelof as well. Steve Smith, Shaw, Lindelof, Pogba. Seems to be the straightforward one there. Adrian, who's been on the podcast before, goes Shaw, Maguire and Lindelof. Antonio, Shaw, Pogba and Manchester United fans are number one, where we belong, still top of the table. Ahmad goes three for Shaw, two for Lindelof and one for Pogba. And Ian also goes Luke, Larry, Shaw. Nice little play there, Ian. And Maguire for two, <laughs> Lindelof for one. So um, it's, it's good to see Can we just say as well, it's the first week Bruno has not been on it. Yeah, Sorry, two weeks in a row. consecutive game, but Bruno has not made a, um, a run-in. It's a record. Yeah, well, well he was poor today. And, but he, it was just one of those ones where you could see the frustration when he came off the end. I don't think that frustration was so much the substitution obviously he's frustrated to get subbed I think his issue was okay that's the sub to make okay that's fine however Scott McTominay is injured don't make it yet make sure we know what's happening there before you make the sub I think that's what Bruno's frustration was it wasn't so much him coming off I think that's almost standard at that time of the game that he's sometimes going to have to make that change just in terms of winding the clock down and getting someone else on there but I think Bruno was saying yeah. to Solskjaer, hey, just wait, give it one minute, see if McDominay's going to come back on the field or not. Um, so I thought that, look, it was good that he was annoyed to come off. I don't, didn't see any issue with that. I saw they shook hands after, or when he walked off the pitch. So um, no issues with that. And we'll just quickly wrap up the podcast, not a preview, but we'll look at the games just, almost Just as really collective. quickly, Tom. Going, yeah. going into like the halfway stage of the season now, we're, we're, coming, up to, we're coming up to 19 games. And I think after, you know, Liverpool are the last of the big teams we've played and we've not beaten any of them yet. We've not beaten Liverpool. We're not beating City. There's going to be a time that if, if, they re- if we really want to take ourselves seriously as, as title contenders, we can't have the same rate of, you know, success rate we've had in the first half of the season against the big six in the second half because we're not going to win a title that way. Obviously, you know, that might not even be our aim this year. We might, we might just want to be challenging, but you know, to be in this position, to be in a title contention, you've got to have the aspirations to do better. And I think United need to clock a few wins in the second half, especially against a big team. It's all good beating the small teams, but that's only going to get us so far. You got you got to beat the big teams to win a title. Yeah, no, look, there's definitely a case of that, and look, I completely agree. However, it's almost we always flip the argument to suit whatever the narrative is at the at the time. And if a team is winning the league and they have a good record with, against the big teams, we point everyone points to that. That's why they win the winning the league because in the big games they show up. But we look at it maybe sometimes under Ferguson or Jose Mourinho's Chelsea. We look at the reason they win the league is because they beat the teams from eighth to twentieth every single week, and they're consistent against the weaker teams. And that's where they sort of sort of stat pad and rack up their points. So um, look, no doubt we do need to improve um, against the big teams, or we will need to take points off them at, at times. But um, I think given that, look, remember what you just mentioned there, we don't really know what the goal is this season. I remember my goal at the start of the season when we were doing predictions and all previews was just to sort of 
comfortably qualify for the Champions League, not make it sort of a race for top four, just sort of you know five or six games to go in the season. Champions League isn't a discussion anymore. We're sort of safely in the top four, and that's still the goal for me. And it look like we're potent, and that can change very quickly. As I said, Liverpool could be in sixth um, when Everton play their game in hand, so it can change very quickly. But um, just to quickly wrap up the podcast, we'll look at the Fulham and Liverpool game almost as a collective. The Liverpool one will be a weird one because I think there'll be rotations on both. Both teams, I think, will go very strong, but there will be that rotation. So maybe it's a Donny van der Beek comes in for Pogba and maybe yeah, maybe Jordan Henderson plays in midfield and they play one of the kids at the back sort of thing. So there will be, will be one or two changes, but... Is Fulham almost a bigger game? Is it, is it almost more must-win, even though one is a knockout game? Yeah, I think Fulham's the, the more important game. Um, just in terms of, obviously, you, you drop points. It's always important, but you, you know you win your next game after that. Fulham, you know, on paper, probably the easiest game in the league in, in the sense of the quality of the team. They're not really... They're probably the best of... They're probably the worst, sorry, of the teams that got promoted this year. Um, but it could be probably the, one of the toughest games we play, just in terms of how good at the performance they've put in against the big teams this year. I know they're not won many, but they've um they were really they played really well against Chelsea and it took um you know it took Fulham to go down to ten men for Chelsea to get a result against them this weekend. Uh, they're putting some good performances against Spurs, they got a point against Spurs. So it's not gonna be as easy as you think and United just need to take the shackles off, which they didn't do today at times, and just literally go for it. Play with that attacking freedom. I'm thinking maybe Cavani comes in this game. Um, ahead of Martial, he might even you know be in place of Rashford. Give him you know rest his legs for the Liverpool game. So so would you say this is almost okay? We, we agree. Okay, it's in that must win category. But do you think he goes what he what Solskjaer's opinion of full strength is, and then maybe rest one or two against Liverpool? Is that almost how you're doing it, or are you looking at okay Liverpool in the FA Cup? It's must win as well. Are you sort of almost going full strength in both? I think he'll go. I think he'll go full full strength in both in the sense that he'll play like his strongest team while maybe rotating a few across each game. I don't think I put it this way. I don't think Greenwood's going to play against Fulham and Liverpool. I'd be surprised if he plays a full ninety in both games. Just in terms of how many games we've got coming up. I mean, I think every week now, what is still a Wednesday and a Saturday game, pretty much. He's going to have to. Rotates. It might not even be Greenwood, it might be Pogba. I think some players are going to have to make way just to give the legs a rest. For me, like Green, not Greenwood, sorry, um, Fernandez has looked um, spent for the past couple of games. He looks like he needs to sit out a game or two. Yeah, just to I really think get the, the Liverpool like, chance. The Liverpool game's yeah. a good chance to rest Bruno, I think. Yeah, just for that, because it, for me, I always want to beat Liverpool, but. I think the more important of the games of is obviously the Premier League game. You know, we're in a good contention at the moment. It's it's all good. It's not good to have the mentality to say, you know what, we're top at the moment, but we're not going to win the league. You you want to keep that mentality, that winning mentality, and think, you know what, this Premier League game, this next Premier League game is important. Play a full strength team. We need to win that. Yeah, you can probably potentially rest a few of of that, the big players, for example, maybe Martial can sit this one out and go in against Liverpool or, or vice versa, start against Fulham, but be on the bench against Liverpool. It's not imperative for a player like that to play both games. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, we will be back. It is a Thursday morning. It's a decent little kickoff time, 7am. That is on Thursday morning for us here in Sydney. So we'll be back on Thursday night. Hope the review in staying top because I don't think City play their game in hand for a while. So we will enjoy being top for a little bit longer. 
hopefully, fingers crossed. And then um, the Liverpool game is unfortunately again a bad kickoff time on a Monday morning. I think it's four a.m. Monday morning next week, so um, that will be a challenge. But we will definitely review both episodes, and Larry should be back from country New South Wales by then, um, and he'll be back. And hopefully, Luke Shaw is still in very good form, which we can come on back not back on the podcast to discuss. And well, also, I just looked at his um, social media. He's having a fantastic time, Larry. He's, he had a really good state tonight. It looked a really tasty uh, meal he had. He, he likes I hope his company's paying for food. that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure he's got the receipt. I'm sure he's keeping track of it. But, um, yeah, uh, just on that, whether maybe this week or this time next week, we will also have very likely a former player on the podcast, um, which will be very exciting. We've had a few on... Um, in the short history of the podcast, but this will be a very good one because he is a treble winner. So you can narrow that down um, if you like, but it would be very sort of historic to get a treble winner on the podcast. And he does know a thing or two about beating Liverpool in the FA Cup. So it would be good to get him on this week, but um, stay tuned for that. We'll definitely put it on all the social medias. And until then, make sure you are following the social medias and subscribe in your podcast app. Um, a big thank you again to Josh for filling in the late substitute appearance. No worries. First actual podcast where I'm not reviewing three points. So I hope oh. that's just a one-off. There you go. We'll, um, we'll get you on next time. <laughs> Make sure you send us a message before when you want to come on and discuss three points. But until then, on Thursday night, we'll chat to you then, hopefully, as we said, discussing three points and top of the table. So have a good one. Cheers. Thanks. <laughs>